particular scripture and, and particular section of the word. But I was also just moved in my heart, and I, I trust that you've been as well, uh, for our great city of Lloydminster, for this region and what God is doing. And God's doing some cool things all over this city. He's doing some cool things all over this region. There's also some stuff that's going on. Maybe in the past year, year and a half, you've noticed that they're shaking all over the place. There's, there's uncertainty in certain areas, even in the churches. And without going into detail about certain things, without taking sides, we know that there's been multiple real rumblings in, in churches all around the city, rumblings around the, the community of Christ. And, and there's been good things come up, and then there's been not so good things that come up. And I've noticed, and maybe you have too, that when these things happen, every church is affected. Every church is in some way, in good and bad, every church feels the ripples of these waves and the ripples of these things that go on. What I'd like to do today would be to encourage you in some areas, not just so that you can, uh, you know, stay, stay rooted in Christ, but also so that you would know that while God has... Has, has called the body of Christ to be unique, to be diverse, that uh, there is a reason, there's a reason that we first go to the word of God and to the voice of God before we just approach our emotions and are led by what we feel. In these times where you get shaking, what I've noticed is, even in the churches where this is not affecting you, even in these churches where it's not necessarily on the front page, if I could say that, I noticed that there is attempts, and I notice that there are uh, moments where it would be easy for us to divide amongst ourselves, where strife seems to go around. And there are seasons in Lloyd, if you've been here long enough, and I'm sure it's in every city, but there are seasons where it's, it's just seems like there are waves of, of, of unity, and at the same time that there's waves of unity, there are waves of disunity seeking to break that up. And I want to address it by the scripture today because I want you to know that no matter where God has planted you, no matter where God has put you, that uh, he desires to do something in your heart that's going to take you being committed and diligent to stay in the love of God and to refuse to allow your heart to go through multiple divorces. There was something that shocked me. I was listening to a, a, a pastor uh, that I look up to greatly. And he and his wife, I was listening to their podcast from their church. He and his wife, um, uh, well, I could just tell you, this is David and Jean McGrew who've been here several times. They were celebrating an anniversary and at their church in Victoria, British Columbia. He got up and the church gives them a round of applause because they've, they've uh, you know, been together all these years. And then he says something that just took the air right out of the room. He says, you know, Gene and I have been divorced probably 30 times in our marriage. <laughs> and every, you kind of heard this. <gasps> I got real quiet. You can't clap for that. <laughs> he said, because you know what? Divorce is not just a legal thing. It's a heart thing. He said, there were times where we allowed ourselves to be separated from one another. We allowed something to come between us so that we were no longer not only walking in love, but walking as covenant partners here. We know that divorce happens. Some of you have come out of divorce. Some of you have been, those scars have been healed in your life. But we know that God hates it. And I, I want to just challenge you to think that it, it's not just marriage that we're talking about here. That there is an attitude, a heart, a, a, almost a spirit of divorce 
that takes place when we separate and we, we cause something to be bigger than the blood of Jesus. We cause something to be bigger than the love of Jesus. And we think that something, a situation, an argument, a conversation, whatever, is worthy of separating us from our brothers and sisters. Let me just say this. I'm not telling you this so that you stay at one church for the rest of your life. God moves people. God sometimes will move somebody to go somewhere else. I get that. You're not ours, you're his. But it's really important that we see why we're going where we're going. Why we move when we move. And I I would just challenge you that very rarely does God ever move somebody because they were uncomfortable with a relationship. Very often, that's his opportunity to work in your heart. That's his opportunity to make you look more like him if you'd let him. Now, I want us to turn in our Bible. Actually, turn in your Bible to the book of Ephesians. But before we read that, I want to read you one verse out of Galatians. And I know that's odd for me to just read one verse. But um, in the book of Galatians, the Apostle Paul says something that's not really part of the context of what he's saying in the larger sense. He's talking to the people of, of Galatia. He's talking about this church and how they've allowed themselves to be persuaded to go back to some of the old Jewish ways, how they've gone back to some of the law, how although they knew the truth and were set free, they've been bewitched, as he says. But he says something right in the middle of all that that's not really the point he's making, but it's an indication of his heart as an apostle. It's an indication of his heart, even in a pastoral role, that there's something he says that, that ever since I was a young man, and I'm sure you felt the same way, when I read this, I see a little bit of what God wants to do through his leaders and through his people. He says this in Galatians. And it's, like I said, it's almost like, I don't want to say a throwaway line, but it's almost, it's just placed in there. Um, In Galatians 4, verse 19, he says, My children, with whom I am again in labor until Christ is formed in you. My children, in whom I am, with whom I am again in labor until Christ is formed in you. That's not the main point he's making, although it certainly does tie into it. The main point he's making is that, guys, you need to come out of the old covenant and and be firmly planted in the new and not go back to slavery, but find yourself free. But when he uses these words, you see some of the affection that God's placed inside of his heart for his people. When he says, with whom I am again in labor, we're not talking about somebody who's working hard, building a building or laying bricks. He, this word that he's, that he's saying, I am again in labor, this is specifically talking about like a woman in labor. These are labor pangs. Now, I don't know what that feels like. I can imagine. I'm not one of those guys that goes and does the, the, the sympathy test and actually has that pain so that I can feel what my wife is going through. I don't need to, to know that she's going through something. I know that she's dealing with something. I can help her. I trust I don't need to feel it. But the Apostle Paul says, I feel this right now. I feel like I'm in labor with you. I feel like I am giving birth to something. That's what I feel right now until Christ is formed in you. He's talking to believers. He doesn't say until you receive Jesus. He doesn't say until you're born again. These people are born again. 
But what he's saying is, I want Christ, what, the whole reason I spend my time, the whole reason I write these letters, the whole reason I come and visit you, is that Christ would be formed in you. I want you to consider what that might mean. It's one thing when you receive Jesus. It's one thing because the Bible tells us that something dramatic takes place when we're born again. The old is crucified with Christ. The new is not only being raised, but will be raised and is raised with him. We, we, the Bible says very clearly, the, any man who's in Christ, old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. He's a new creature. We know that that happens, but have you considered that Christ in some way is still being formed in you? That there are things being transformed on the inside of you. That there are things being changed all the time to look more like Jesus. Not on the outside, but on the inside. He says, this is why I've been laboring. This is why I feel like I'm in labor pangs right now. That Christ would be formed in you. That Christ would be developed in you. That something on the inside of you would be changing to look like Jesus every day. And as a pastor, I feel the same way. And I know you feel the same way for one another. That that there are times where you, you battle together. There are times where you fight together. There are times where you weep together. That Christ would be formed in each one of us. That we would start to look more like Jesus every single day. That Christ would be formed in you. So in Ephesians, I want you to see something. Ephesians chapter 4, which is not new to you. You're not unfamiliar with it. But let's read it with fresh eyes and a fresh heart. And then we'll go back to that point in Galatians. He says, Ephesians 4.1, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called. Here he's not talking about, sometimes we talk about calling as if that's your individual thing. Like I'm called to be a missionary, I'm called to be an evangelist. That plays into it, but that's not all that's included. When he talks about your calling here, he's talking about his calling you to himself, to his family, to his body. You were called out of darkness and into light. He said, I want you to implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. Being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. You don't have to be diligent when things are real super easy. You don't have to be diligent when things come naturally. Diligence means you have to set your mind that I'm sticking with this even when it's hard. We read this so often and we personalize it way too much because we read Ephesians 4 and we see, okay, let's see, what what has God called me to do? Am I I an apostle? Am I a pastor? Am I an evangelist? Am I a prophet? And we we, we individualize it and personalize it when the whole point of this chapter is not about you as the individual, but you as an individual part of the body of Christ. You notice that the first thing he says, in order for you to walk in a manner worthy of the God that called you, worthy of his calling, he doesn't first address your prayer life, although that's important. He doesn't address how much you're reading your Bible, although that's hugely important. What he addresses first and foremost is how you are acting towards one another. How diligent you are to preserve the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. How humble you are, how gentle you are, 
How patient, how tolerant you are. Tolerance, did you know, is a Bible word in our society. For us, that's kind of become like a bad word at times. Like it's, like it's, it's, it's bowing down to the world or it's, it's being weak. But there is a tolerance that comes from the Spirit of Christ which says that my needs and my feelings and my opinions about you aren't bigger than the body of Christ. They're not bigger than what Jesus died to save. And here he says in verse 4, there is one body and one spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling. There is one Lord, there's one faith, there's one baptism. There's one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. That is a beautiful verse. I'm going to read it again just because it's so good. There is one God and Father of all who is over all, through all, and in all. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Thank God the grace was according to his gift and not our need. It was according to his gift and not our qualifications. It was according to his gift and not our ability. That grace was given in accordance to how much he had to give. And it says here, therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives. He gave gifts to men. Now this expression, he ascended, what does it mean? Except that he had also descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is himself also he who ascended far above all the heavens, so that he might fill all things. Just think of that thought that Jesus desires to fill all things. And he eventually will. And he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. We've talked about that a whole lot, but let's see what he comes up with next. See what he says next. He says, to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith. It's so odd because I would expect what would come after that verse is until we get the whole world saved. I mean, that's important, isn't it? The whole world's not going to be saved, unfortunately. But, I mean, that's our goal is to spread the gospel all over the planet, isn't it? Yes. That's huge. That's, that's important. But that's not what he says here. He doesn't say until we, until we totally, totally take over our city. No, he says until we attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. And those two things are tied together to a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. In order for you to grow up in the body of Christ, you first have to grow up into him. And as we're all growing up into him, we are inevitably growing up into one another. He's the head, right? I know it's been real cool. It's a real cool thing to say. To say, I love Jesus, but I don't like the church. That's cool. That's fashionable. That's hip to say. Because it it puts you above everybody else. It's your way of explaining to the world, don't blame me for all these morons that call themselves Christians. I follow Jesus. Well, good for you. But I would be insulted if you said you like me, but you couldn't stand my bride. I would be really insulted if you said, I like your face, but the rest of your body is terrible. Can't stand it. I hate your body. From here up, it's okay. You're all right. Which is what we're saying. Oh, I love Jesus. Oh, I love Jesus. But Christians, they bug me. 
Because by saying that, I elevate myself up, which is me and Jesus, and then all you other unwashed masses that I can't identify with or I'll be embarrassed in front of my friends. But obviously, if he's the head of the church and the church is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all, if we got to love him, we got to love the body. He goes on and he says, as a result, we're no longer to be children, grow up, tossed here and there by waves and carried, away, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. Part of growing up is not being unstable so as to be tossed around by every new fad that comes along. Part of growing up means that every time a new book comes out, you don't automatically change your foundational doctrine. Part of growing up means every time a new trend sweeps through the city or sweeps through the country, you're not going here, there, and everywhere because you're just with what's fashionable. Part of growing up says, I'm not going to be carried about by every wind. I'm not carried about by every wave of doctrine. And I'm also not fooled by deceitfulness and scheming and craftiness. That's not, I'm not fooled by that. I'm rooted and I'm grounded in him. It doesn't mean that for the rest of your life you'll be in the same place. God moves people. God sends you to, to other cities, to other nations. God may even send you to another church. But this is not because you just found it uncomfortable. I think God's best work is when we're uncomfortable. And I would challenge you right now to to think about that verse about Christ being formed in you. And in my experience, this is just my opinion, but in my experience, those moments when Christ is being formed in you are when you are in the most awkward, uncomfortable situations and you refuse to move. And you stay and you let Jesus do what Jesus does. And that person ticked you off and that person made you feel weird. And that person has insulted you and your family and your mom and your grandpa and everybody else. And you still refuse to step out of love. In that moment, something is being formed deeper in you than mere politeness. If we were just to consider, and you'll bear with me for taking this slightly out of context. If we were to just, just to consider for a moment the parable of the sower. Now, I know that's speaking about when the word hits your heart. And that's really talking about people coming to Jesus and being changed by it. But I believe it applies in multiple areas. When he's talking about the parable of the sower, the first stage of the sower is the seed just hits the road. It doesn't penetrate the heart. It bounces off. Those are the people that hear the message or they open their Bible and read it. And they say, I don't believe that. They walk away. But the next stage was a rocky heart, a shallow heart. I want you to think about those guys for a minute. Because those guys said amen in church. Those guys on the surface appeared to receive the word with much joy. But when persecution, when affliction came, when it got hard, it says immediately they had no firm root within themselves. And they withered up. They died. I want you to just consider that the word has to go through. Of course, the, the, the third phase is a thorny heart, a crowded heart. This is a heart that receives the word. Maybe at some point was fruitful, but then got so busy, self-occupied by the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, the desires for other things that it got carried away and the word got crowded out. Then, of course, you know the last heart that he talks about is a good heart where the seed went deep. It planted roots, it grew, and it bore multiple, multiple, you know, uh, fruit over and over and over and over again, 30, 60, 100 fold. Consider this for a moment. 
consider that most of our relationships are at that rocky level. They're shallow. Consider that we have only allowed most of these relationships to go to the point that we don't feel persecuted, that we don't feel harassed or afflicted, that we've only allowed them to go to the point where we are polite to one another, we are kind to one another, we smile, we hug, we shake hands, just like those people receive the word with joy. On the outside, we seem to be loving. On the outside, we seem to be happy. On the outside, we seem to accept one another. But I would challenge you to just think about this. Has, it, has, has God really been allowed to penetrate so deep into your heart that you will stay in the relationships, you will stay in the place, you will receive the word even when there is persecution, even when it gets hard to love people. We are really good at being shallow. There's nothing wrong with smiling at people, right? There's nothing wrong with saying, I love you. There's nothing, I don't even think there's something wrong with smiling at somebody even when you don't fully feel like smiling at them. But it's got to go deeper than that, guys. And I would challenge you just to think about this. Perhaps those moments when Christ is most being formed in you are the moments when you most want to run away. The moments when you most want to just cut the rope and let them go. The moments where you just want to say, and here's the deal. God is doing cool things in our city. And you know, there was a day where you were, you belonged to a denomination and that was your denomination and come hell or high water, that was you. And you didn't move no matter what happened. And it wasn't because you were so rooted and grounded in your church. It was because all those other churches were heretics. You know, we just stay here. (laughs) Maybe even your pastor got up and said, here are 10 points. Why, you don't need to go to those other churches. I'll tell you why right now. I doubt that guy sounded like that in Lloyd Minster, but maybe. (laughs) Something cool has happened. Something that I am enjoying is that there's a greater move of the unity of the faith. There's a greater love of the Spirit between churches. It's wonderful. One of the only downsides is that now it's, it's kind of easy when it gets a little awkward at your church for you to just go to the next one. For you to just kind of go here and you go here and you go here and you go here. You stay until it gets awkward. It will always get awkward. It will always get uncomfortable. It will always, and I would think that maybe that's when God does his best work. Can we, can we keep that divorce out of our hearts and say something that Jesus has done to put you and me in the same body, and I'm not talking about this church as a body. I'm talking the great body of Christ. You see, we might not, you might not even leave your church. You might even just go to the other side of the room. And just say, we're not going to sit in the same area. (laughs) Never the two shall meet. We don't have to talk. And what are we doing? We're resisting the work of Jesus in our hearts. We're resisting his forming in us because it's too difficult. It's too hard. It, It doesn't feel nice. And you know what? They're wrong. They're more wrong than I am. They probably are. Right? They probably are. They're probably low down, no good. Yeah, I get that. But you know, if you've ever been in marriage counseling, and your spouse is 90% wrong and you're 10% wrong, any good pastor is going to talk to you about your 10% and not spend the whole time talking to you about their 90%. Because what the Lord's concerned about 
is not how wrong everybody else is and how right you are. Because you're his precious little snowflake, and he loves you, and, and nobody could touch you as far as his affection for you. I get that. But have you considered that he's concerned about your heart? And that when Jesus was persecuted, when he was reproached, the scripture talks about the meekness of Christ. And meekness doesn't get a good rap in our day. But meekness is not weakness. Meekness, as, the, as even the Vines Dictionary says, is a fruit of strength. That when he was reproached, he did not reproach in return. He did not open his mouth. When he could have called down legions of angels, he didn't. When he could have cursed, he blessed. This is the Lord that told us, when you have enemies... Now, see, most of the time, our, our enemies are formed over something like somebody made the same casserole I made at church, and they, they played it off like theirs was better than mine, and I'm, I'm offended about that, which is really, really, it's really shallow compared to what Jesus was talking about. He says that people that persecute you, you know the word for persecute in the Greek means to hunt down? Do you, do you have any enemies right now that are hunting you down? No, the worst thing they do is just not smile at you big enough as you walk out of the service. The worst thing they did was, was cut you off as you were pulling into the parking lot and taking your space that God himself set an angel with the sword in front of that you'd be the only one that ever parks there. Like the entrance to the Garden of Eden is your parking spot, and somehow they got in. Therefore, they are anathema. They are excommunicated. I want nothing to do with them. When Jesus is talking about people that are hunting you down to kill you, he says, love them, pray for them, bless them. And I know in our society, in our culture, bless has been robbed of all its power. And we just bless people because we don't know what else to say when they sneeze. Because it's gross, it's weird, so bless you. But we are believers. And we believe that there is something to blessing. We believe that, that when we bless somebody, there is significance in that. There is, there is there's, that you're actually hoping, you're actually believing, you're actually asking God to bless them. The book of James says you can't curse and bless with the same mouth. I trust God with my heart. You remember we read a few weeks ago how it said all we like sheep have gone astray. Each one has gone to our own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. Then when that's quoted in the New Testament, Peter writes that all of us like sheep have gone astray, but we have returned to the shepherd and the guardian of our souls. If we consider our soul to be that place where our emotion dwells, our mind, our will, our emotions, that place where we are feel when, when we're offended, we feel when we're hurt, we feel when there is that divorce, when there's that separation. Have you considered that you have a shepherd of your soul? I want to remind you what it says in Hebrews about Jesus. That even when all this was happening, he entrusted himself. He entrusted, the Bible says, and Peter actually says this again. He says when he was abused, when he was mistreated, he entrusted his soul to a righteous God. 
Here's the question. Do I trust God with my emotions? Do I trust him with my heart? Do I trust him with my soul? Do I trust that he's not going to allow me to be so damaged by this interaction, by these, this relationship, by these people? Do I trust that I don't have to guard my soul, but he'll guard my soul? Because the Apostle Paul said, I know whom I have believed. Not what I believe, but whom I've believed. And I know that he is able to guard, he's faithful and able to guard what I've entrusted to him until that day. Here's the question that comes up when we're uncomfortable with our relationships, when we feel challenged, when we feel mistreated, when we feel abused, when we feel talked about in a wrong way. Do I trust my soul to my shepherd? Do I trust my soul to a righteous God and a righteous judge? Do I trust that he wouldn't allow me to be crushed by this? I might feel crushed. I might feel damaged. I may feel wounded, but he is the healer of broken hearts. He's the binder up of wounds. I want you to see what he keeps writing in Ephesians 4. But speaking the truth in love, verse 15, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. Do you see that? We grow up into him. When you think of growing up in the faith, sometimes we think of ourselves as these lone giants that have gotten so strong. But the scripture says we grow up into him. And we grow up together into him. In all aspects. Think about that for a minute. There should be every aspect of your life should be growing into Christ. Not just your singing voice, not just your preaching, not just your sharing of the gospel with unbelievers, but every area of you is, should be causing, should be in some way growing up into Christ. In all aspects, we're growing up into him who is the head, even Christ you know, if you, if you started hitting yourself, if you started, you know, your body started attacking itself, if you had an autoimmune disease, if you had all of these things, it's, it's, not, it's not operating properly. And if your hand started punching yourself in the face, if, you, if your kick, your feet, sorry, your kick, if your feet started kicking yourself, we would say there's something wrong, wouldn't we? And we would say something is wrong with the communication between your brain and the rest of your body. And when we are so stuck in our strife and our division, we're indicating that there's not only a division between these parts of the body, there's a division between us and the head. There's something wrong with this. Because the more we're connected to the head, the more we realize we're part of the same body. And we move in harmony. And we move together rather than separate or, or even contradictory. Look what he says in verse 16. He says, from whom the whole body, which is Christ, from, from Christ the whole body is fit and held together by what every joint supplies. And we've talked about this so many times, but you aren't a joint. You are a part of the body. The joint is when parts come together. Thank God that what the joint supplies, what, when these body parts come together and God sticks you with people that you don't want to be stuck with and God sticks you with people that have hurt you and God sticks you with people that smell bad, that there is something that happens in the joining of parts that causes the growth of the body, that causes them to be held together. 
And it says, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. It's interesting because when we think of building ourselves up, we think about going into my prayer closet and getting built up, which is important. We think about getting your Bible out and building up, and that's important. But you can't be built up without love. And love does not operate in a vacuum. Love has to do with all these people God put around you. Have you ever noticed in Galatians when it talks about the fruit of the Spirit that most of those things are not talking about your relationship one way with God, but your relationship with God and other people? You don't really need a whole lot of patience with God. Maybe you think you do. But he, he's not the one that's testing your patience the most. Maybe he is. It's mostly people. When do you most need self-control? Now, maybe you say, well, I have self-control. I have some uh, addictive personality traits and I need self-control. Okay, cool. Praise the Lord. Do you also need self-control? When someone says something and your first instinct is to say something back because you've got dirt. Love, that's easy. Joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness. Gentleness is a fruit of the Spirit. And all of these things, you can't just one by one check off the list and say, okay, I'll work on that, I'll work on that. All of these things come out of a life that's being led by the Spirit of God. He says this body builds itself up in love. So this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you no longer walk just as the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. Because their heart is hard. Because their heart is hard, they walk a certain way. Jesus said in the last days, men's hearts would grow cold. I'm sorry, he says their their hearts would fail them, their love would grow cold. It's not instantly cold, it grows cold. It grows hard, it grows cold. Jesus said that Moses allowed divorce because of the hardness of their heart. If you'll forgive me for stretching that a little bit. Perhaps the harder our hearts get, the more prone we are to divorcing ourselves from one another. And the separation that takes place between us, and we're not willing to stick in the same room and figure it out and work it out. And sometimes working it out doesn't mean you know who's right and who's wrong. Sometimes working it out says the unity of the Spirit is bigger than this issue. Sometimes working it out says the will of the Lord be done which is what those folks said to Paul when he was insistent on going to Jerusalem and they were insistent that the Spirit was saying not to. They both said we're hearing from God and they had opposite conclusions. So at the end of the day, they say the will of the Lord be done. There's nothing wrong saying that when you can't agree. It says because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart, they having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. But you did not learn Christ in this way. If indeed you've heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind, 
and that you put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Listen to this. What's, what's the result of putting on the new self? What does it look like when you put on the new self? Therefore, laying aside falsehood, laying aside your insincere greetings, laying aside your fake politeness, laying aside your deceit, which makes you look like the bigger person, laying aside all of that, speak truth, each one of you with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. We can't afford to lie to one another. We can't afford to deceive one another. We can't afford to let this falsehood keep going between us because we're members of one another. Be angry, yet don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Oh, if we only kept this. When I first got, I was about to get married, I went about, I've told you this, but I went around to several people that had been married for a long time. I said, what's your secret? And about half of them said, we don't go to bed angry. But you know, he doesn't say, so if you're married, don't go to bed angry. Although that holds true, that's certainly good. He says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. And that's applying to anybody. I mean, that's, that's applying to the gas station attendant. You're not allowed to go to bed. Just stay, staying angry at this guy. You're not allowed to go to bed. And, and, and our bedtime is our best time to win arguments. Because it's one way. And we set up this other person as a straw man that always says the dumbest things. When you have an argument with people you don't like, that argument in your head always goes your way. And they never have a response for your witty remarks. And they never know how to deal with your great wisdom. And most of the time in your head, they end up coming back to you and going, I was wrong. I'm sorry. I love you. And I just, will you forgive me? Can I make you something? Can I do something for you? But in reality, they're having the same thought about you. If they're even thinking about you. Instead, can we entrust our hearts, our soul to the shepherd? And say, it's not my business whether or not they get right with God or whether or not they get right with me. Because as the Bible says, as far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. The scripture says in Hebrews, don't let the root of bitterness spring up in any one of you. Because by that root of bitterness, many will be defiled. And I've seen this over and over again. Where a root of bitterness, it starts out as a root. Just a little bit of bitterness springs up. If you let it spring up out of the ground, if you let it come up above the surface, it will defile a bunch of people. And it leads to heartache. It leads to splits. It leads to to relationships being busted up. It leads to churches being split. It leads to all these things because we let the bitterness not only exist but be nourished and let it flourish in us and let it spread to others. He says, don't let that happen. He says, pursue peace. Pursue peace. Interesting enough, that word for pursue is the same word we talked about for persecute. Hunt it down. He's not saying passively embrace peace. He's not saying if somebody comes to you, just don't hit them. He says, you chase that peace down and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. I think we're not valuing this as high as Jesus values it. He goes on and he says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. and Don't give the devil an opportunity. 
Greek word there is a foothold, a place to stick his foot. It's interesting that often because of the victory of Christ in your life, the devil has no place to stand in your business, in your church, in your relationships until you let anger creep in and stay, until you let bitterness stay. That is the open door. He says this, He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with one who has need. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, for building up according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander. Bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander. That's all having to do with other people. It's all having to do with with what you're saying about other people, what you feel about other people. Let it all be put away from you along with all malice. Listen to this. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. I know I've talked about this before, but bear with me. You know the problem with being tenderhearted? Tender hearts are far more sensitive. And the hard thing about being tenderhearted is they hurt more when people poke them. And we've trained ourselves, especially if you've been in church for a long time. It is, it's the saddest thing to me But some people have been in church so long that they have built up a nice big wall that keeps their heart guarded and doesn't let people too close. To be tenderhearted to one another is to say, I trust God with my heart because I'm letting it be open. Hard-hearted is the safest as far as the world's concerned, isn't it? If I'm hard-hearted, you can't hurt me. If I'm hard-hearted, I don't feel it as much when you poke and when you prick and when you stab. Tender-hearted is vulnerable. But tender-hearted is saying, I trust Jesus. I trust Jesus with my heart. I trust him with my emotions. I trust him with my soul. I trust that if he put me here, I trust that if he connected me with this person, I trust that if I am walking in the love of God, that he would not allow me to be destroyed by this. I trust Jesus that Christ may be formed in me. The greatest times where Christ, I believe, has been formed in me have been those moments where everything in me said, get out of here and get out of here fast. When I stayed and I said, the love of God compels me, I've got to stay. Those are the moments where Christ was being most formed in me. I started to look more like him because I refused to run when I felt like running. I refused to leave when I felt like leaving. I refused to turn my back on somebody that deserved to have my back turned to them. Because now you're starting to look like Jesus. He says this, be kind to one another, be tenderhearted, forgiving each other. And oh, why do you have to say that? Just as God and Christ has forgiven you. We've said this so many times, but to forgive one another, if you just said that, we define what that looks like. 
And we define its limits and we define how far I'm going to go to forgive you. But you have to add in as God in Christ forgave you. And I know how much he had to forgive me for. And it was more than any other person's ever going to do to me. I did to Jesus. So in that same way, forgive one another. Isn't it interesting? So many times we look at Ephesians 4 and we think of the superheroes of the faith and how I'm going to grow and be a big and strong member of the body of Christ. But really the point of the whole thing is that we're all growing up together and we all must resist separation and we must embrace the unity of the spirit. And here's how you do it, by putting on the new self. And in putting on that new self, And you'll know it by its fruit, but by putting on that new self, Christ himself is being formed in us. Those moments where you want to leave are the moments that Jesus wants to be most real in your life. And I wonder, I bet, if we were to ask you, many of you would have examples of the greatest moment of transformation in your heart was immediately preceded by those moments where you wanted to hightail and run, and you didn't. You said, instead, I'm going to let Christ be formed in me. I'm going to trust myself to him. We have an opportunity. I know when we talk about opportunities, usually it's this wonderful big deal where we say there's an opportunity Uh, you know, we're about to take some new ground. There's an opportunity where doors are opening. There's an opportunity where where things are finally working out good. But I want to tell you, there's also an opportunity when that person, and I know that you all get along. You're probably like, well, why is he talking to us about this? Trust me, if you're not having to deal with this now, you will soon. Because if you've been in in a family long enough, you know that family members do stuff that bothers you. I love my sister. I love my sister. But there were times where I worked out situations in my head. She may listen to this podcast. Where I worked out situations in my head where we could be brother and sister and not have to see each other for years. (laughs) My sister used to do the funniest thing. She would sit in in the van and she'd rock back and forth like this. For those of you who know my sister Liberty, she's a drummer. She wasn't then. When she'd be in a crib, she'd rock back and forth. When she'd be in a chair, she'd rock back and forth. You know, my parents thought she's either like autistic or she's rhythmic. <laughs> Turned out she was rhythmic. But I remember that moment where she's rocking back in her chair and all of a sudden something dawned in my head. Because we got in the most trouble on those van trips where we'd be going on the great road trips, and my dad would say, do you want me to pull over? Do I need to pull over right now? And it was always like Liberty, like, oh, he's in my space. He's looking at me weird. You know, it's all this. And I remember that moment where I worked out in my head, and I thought it was the voice of God revealing this to me. I, I imagine it was something quite darker. But I remember in my head, there was this thought, if she was never born, I would never have a spanking. And I slowly turned to her in the van, and she's just doing this. All of a sudden, I look at her, and she slows down, and she stops, because she must have saw something in my eye that scared her. 
I would never be spanked. I started going through. Now, in hindsight, my mom could tell you, there were plenty of opportunities for me to be spanked without her. But in my head, no, 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 she's the problem. I looked at her with those eyes, and I don't know what the eyes communicated to her, but I think it was enough for her to stop rocking and buckle her seatbelt a little tighter. (laughs) I've seen people react that way. If you only weren't around, if God somehow, and we spiritualize it, I'm praying that you get a job in Edmonton. I am, for your sake, I want you to be blessed by a job in Edmonton. Praying that you just get married and they sweep you away to another city. I'm, God help you. I hope that you've never prayed that they go home to Jesus soon. No, nobody would admit to that in the service. But we, I want you to consider about the opportunities you have right now for Christ himself to be more richly and deeply formed in you. I want you to think about the opportunities you have to run away and how instead you're going to seek the voice of God. I want you to consider how fragile your heart is when it is unshepherded, but how safe it is when you entrust it to the shepherd and guardian of your soul. It doesn't feel safe because it still gets poked. That's the thing I don't like. I could be tenderhearted, and I could say, I trust my heart to you, but I still feel when it gets poked. It still hurts when people say something about you that's not true. It still hurts when people don't like you, and you don't know why they don't like you. It still hurts when you know they're saying, they're talking about you behind your back. It still hurts. Your instinct is, go where you're appreciated. But if you want to be like Jesus, you don't go where you're appreciated. You go where you're called. You don't go where everybody treats you well. You go where you're most able to be a light. You go where you're most able to be a vessel of the love of God. You go where the shepherd leads you. Some people are called to, to move. Some people go to other places. But it's not because you're running from something. It's because you're being led to something. And I truly believe this. You all have opportunities right now for Christ to be formed more richly in you. Think about it. The place where the seed bears fruit first had to go past the point of persecution, of rejection, of affliction where it hurts. It had to withstand some abuse to get to the good part. It had to be bigger than our selfish ambition. It had to be bigger than our busyness. Isn't it interesting? I think if I were to stretch it even further, that shallow heart gives up when things get hard. But the crowded heart gives up when you just get so busy. And I might just say to you, some of you have let go of some divine connections and divine relationships, not because you were offended, but because you were busy. Either way, you become unfruitful. God's doing something in us, in his body, in our city, in our nation. And it's going to get awkward. It's going to get weird. It's going to get uncomfortable. But if you will set your feet in the last place he told you to put them, until he tells you otherwise, 
And you will refuse to step out of his love. And you will refuse to step out of his peace. And you will refuse to blame others instead of just saying, God, what do you want to do in my heart? Then I guarantee you, your heart's going to be transformed from glory to glory, from grace to grace. There'll be something that takes place in you which is richer than you imagined, which is richer than you could have hoped for. This is why we labor that Christ may be formed in you. My prayer for you is that Christ would continue to be formed in you, that that growth wouldn't be stunted because of a foothold that the enemy received because we refuse to let anger go. We refuse to let bitterness go. Can we, just for a moment, I want you to just bow your heads right now and let's pray. And I want us to ask the Lord Nobody can hear your heart. Nobody can see your heart except for him. I want, I want to ask you if you've allowed divorce to creep in. Now, I'm not talking about marriage right now, guys, although marriage could be part of it. And guys, if this is in the past and you've been forgiven, you, were, you, know, you moved on and you used to have a, an issue with somebody, but you don't anymore, that's not what I'm talking about. Today, if you've felt like there are people you've got to be more guarded around, I understand that. Sometimes you do, but that doesn't mean you can't be tenderhearted. If there are people that you've just put distance because you didn't like them or because they didn't like you, you felt it was easier just to avoid them. I want you to look at this as an opportunity for Jesus himself to be the shepherd. I want us each individually to let God reveal our hearts. If there is any root of bitterness, we don't want that to defile anybody. We don't want it to spring up. We want to nip it in the bud. Lord, examine our hearts. Your word is a sword that cuts and divides between soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It examines us. It shows us what's in our heart. So reveal to us any area that we've resisted your working because of our need to protect ourselves, because of our need to guard ourselves rather than entrust ourselves to you. Oh, Lord, fill us with your love. Fill us with your forgiveness. Fill us with your grace. I want you to let God just, if, I mean, maybe, maybe you're here today and this, you honestly say, I honestly can say, my heart is open, my heart is free. Then praise God, intercede for someone else. But if, the, if God himself is revealing to you names or situations where he says, listen, I want you to not run away so quickly. I want you to not turn away so quickly. I want you to, open yourself up to me. Then in, in doing so, I want you to just be obedient. If you need to make something right, you go make it right as soon as you can. Don't make it right with the hope and assumption that they're going to apologize to you. Make it right because that's what the Lord told you to do, regardless of what they do. Don't do it passive-aggressively where it puts all the blame on them. Listen, if you are 5% in the wrong, 
you approach them like you're 100% in the wrong. Let God worry about the rest. Let God worry about the 95%. Lord, we, we are yours. Now, as an act of faith and hope, let's stand up. And we're going to just, now in this moment, we're going to let God do something here. If God pointed something out, if he brought something out in your heart, then right now, we're going to lay it at the feet of the cross, at the foot of the cross, and we're going to leave it there where it doesn't need to be picked up again. We're going to resist division. 